Good evening, Christ Rich Church. Um, before I begin, I just want to say that it is my honor and my privilege to be here. Uh, yes, last time I preached here, it was in the other building, and I was still a seminary student at RTS. Um, so some time has passed before, uh, since that time. Let me begin before I read our passage tonight and before I pray, uh, just to mention a few things. The first one is that I will divide this sermon as a good Presbyterian and as a good RTS student in three points. I took um, sermon uh, classes with uh, Dr. or Reverend Michael Dixon, soon to be PhD. And the first point is going to be the longest one. And that is for practicality uh, purposes, because I think our brains are going to be the most tired when we get to the third point. Uh, So I will try to squeeze the first point the most. Uh, Having said that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity of being here once again with this church. Thank you for the opportunity that you give me to preach your word. I do pray, O Lord, that you may use me. You know that I am unworthy. Have mercy on me, a sinner, and I pray that your truth may come forth, that I may decrease, that you may increase. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13. I will read verses 6 to 9. Luke chapter 13, verses 6 to 9. And he told this parable, he meaning Jesus. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not... You can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. So as you notice, uh, in this introduction, I'm going to focus, just in this brief introduction, on the very first sentence of this passage. And he told this parable. This is Luke telling us, him being the narrator, telling us what was happening. So the first thing that we have to do before considering our passage is to actually know, well, what is a parable? And this is just my brief introduction. In this brief introduction, I'm going to try to explain what is a parable, uh, what is the purpose of a parable, and what are the characteristics of a parable, and then we're going to enter into the actual parable. The first thing, and this is going to be, for the sake of time, a very reductionistic explanation of what a parable is, Let me just say that a parable is not just a crafty little story. A parable, in the most simple terms, is an illustrative story that conveys truth. 
Sometimes they can use allegories, metaphors, etc. But that's just in the most simple terms. It's an illustrative story that conveys truth. Now, parables are not a New Testament invention. We see them in the Old Testament. Perhaps the most famous example is the prophet Nathan when he comes to David and gives him the parable of the man and, and the little lamb or the sheep. So parables, in the most simple terms, are just illustrative stories that convey truth. Now, what is the purpose of a parable? Um, This is a good one, but opinions are divided. But I will say that the uh, purpose of parables is actually twofold. This is something that most people, most scholars agree with. And that is sometimes parables are used, or one of the purposes is to conceal truth. And the other purpose is to reveal truth to others. Sometimes people say, well, parables are just meant, uh, again, to be crafty or, or just to always show truth. Not really. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 13. And this is when the disciples ask Jesus, Jesus, why are you saying so many parables? They say, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So again, what is a parable? What is the purpose of a parable? The purpose of a parable is twofold to conceal truth from some and to reveal it to others. There are other purposes, but those are the two main ones that I'm focusing on. And finally, characteristics of a parable, just two quick important things. One of the characteristics of a parable is that they are not meant to convey truth in everything. In the parable of, let's say, the prodigal son, not every little detail is supposed to convey an eternal truth. And this is important. Because sometimes we can start getting, oh, well, you know, and, and, and this and that. And, and we have so many different angles of, of, of uh, a ring or, or a dress. No, not every little detail in a parable is meant to convey an eternal truth. That's one characteristic. And the other one is that usually they have three characters. So like the prodigal son, you have the father. And of course, the prodigal son. And then you have the brother, for example. Well, in our parable tonight, we also have three main characters. We have the fig tree, we have the vine dresser, and we have the owner of the vineyard. So my big idea for tonight, if you won't remember anything after this, I said it was going to be a brief introduction. It has not been a brief introduction. Uh, My big idea tonight, if you're just going to remember anything, is God is giving us time to repent and bear fruit. That's the big idea of tonight's sermon. God is giving you and I time to repent and bear fruit. Now, my, f- my first point is this. We must consider where we stand before the Lord. You and I, we must consider where we stand before the Lord. Verse 6, And he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. So first we have the man, who is the owner, of course. 
Why is he the owner of the vineyard? Because the text says that is his vineyard, right? You don't have to be a seminary student to know that. Well, this man represents God the Father. In this parable, the man represents God the Father, the owner. We also have a fig tree, which of course belongs to him. The fig tree represents the covenant people of God. Now, this is not a New Testament, like I said, invention. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, we see many, uh, a lot of language used to talk about Israel as a fig tree or as, as a, a vineyard, etc. So this is not a New Testament invention. The fig tree is representing God's covenant people. Now, of course, this is confirmed in our text because the text says that the fig tree has been planted where? Not in his neighbor's house, but in his vineyard. So it's his property. The fig tree was planted in his property. Now, that means, though, that in the first century, this parable is addressed mainly to Jews, which were God's covenant people. Now it is addressed to us, to the church universal. So this is for you and I. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. An interesting thing to point out is that God not only has a people for himself, he not only has a a, a vineyard, but he's expecting that his people produce fruit. Now, see this. The owner in this parable, he's expecting of of the vineyard, of the fig tree, something that is supposed to be expected. He's coming seeking fruit. You know, the parable doesn't say that the owner came and he was seeking to see if the fig tree was flying because fig trees don't fly. He's expecting what, uh, from the fig tree what he's supposed to receive from that fig tree. So the expectation of this owner is actually a righteous expectation. The expectation of this owner of the vineyard is a just expectation. He's not expecting from this fig tree something that he shouldn't. On the contrary, he comes and says, I'm looking for fruit because you're supposed to give me fruit. And in the same way that applies to us, God is rightly expecting from us to give fruit. Now, let me say this, and this is why this is the, you know, the first point, and that's why I said it was going to be the longest one. I promise you it's the longest point. Uh, this fruit in this parable is not talking primarily about good works. And this is important. It may be counterintuitive at first, because usually good fruit is associated with good works, but not in this parable. And let me show why. Well, first, we have to take a closer look at the parable. Unlike other parables, this one is, I mean, this this is an incredibly short parable, but unlike other parables, there is no explanation. You know, sometimes Jesus says, well, the kingdom of God is like Y or X. And then they ask him, Jesus, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, the seed means this. Not in this parable. In this parable, after he gives the parable, then just Luke goes to another place. So the work as a good RTS graduate, I've been taught that if you want to know the meaning of something, you need to read the context, the the, the passage in context. So you read the previous two chapters, 
You read the following two chapters. And it is here when we realize where this parable is inserted. You see, if you have your Bibles open on, on Luke 13, just go uh, to verse 1, right there on Luke, in Luke 13. And I will read that. There were some present at that very time. This is Luke 13, verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffer in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. So the context is extremely important for this parable. You see, the context in which Jesus is speaking in the first century, people have been coming to him. And the Jews at this point, they had developed, they had developed a self-righteous system of good works. For, for the Jews in this century, it was, well, I am performing, I am tithing, I'm doing this and that and this and that. And Jesus, in Luke uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, he says, well, do you remember those, those people that Pilate killed? Do you think they died because they were worse? No. You all deserve that. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or the people that that tower fell on, they are no worse than you. You also deserve to die. And this is striking. And then he tells the parable. You see, that's the context. It's not about good works, meaning I'm just always coming to church I'm always tithing, which those are excellent things, and Jesus always talks, talks a lot about those things. They have the time. Good works have their time, but not in this parable. Good works are not meant to be describing just... Ex- uh, sorry, fruit is not meant to be describing just external works. That's not the context of this passage. Now, having this kind of thinking that the Jews had, well, these people got killed probably because something bad happened to them. It's probably because they're sinners. You see what's the problem there? Not only, the problem is not only that that's a wrong kind of thinking, but then you think the, the opposite. Well, if nothing bad is happening to me, it's because I'm probably really good. And Jesus says, no. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So we need to be careful not to have this kind of thinking in the church. Oh yeah, this happened to this person. Probably it was sinning. Maybe it may be true or not. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So the fruit here in this parable, like I said, is fruit that is not meant just to be an outward thing oh, I'm, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. But it's fruit 
in keeping with repentance. And I see that in Luke 3. You don't have to go there. But John the Baptist actually tells them, he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, he's talking to the Jews, oh, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So you see what is, what's happening here in our parable. The fruit is keeping in, with repentance. It's not about your pedigree. It's not about if you have Abraham as your father, or I'm always attending Christ Ridge, or I went to RTS, or I'm coming to Sunday night worship. As great as all these things are, the fruit is keeping with repentance. And you see the, the problem, and this is why the first point, which has, is the longest, is we must consider where we stand before God. Because this fig tree was in the right place and in the right time. It was in the vineyard of the Lord. And yet, it wasn't producing fruit. Not true fruit. And you could be here tonight. I could be preaching here tonight. Being in the right place. Saying the right things. And you're stuck on them. And unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. How many people, I don't, I don't have to expand on this, but we all know people who were in the right place at the right time, saying the right things, doing the right things outwardly, but there was no fruit in keeping with repentance. It was a fig tree on the vineyard of the owner, and yet it was not producing fruit. So we must consider where we stand, you and I, before the Lord. Now we move to our second point. We must not, the second point is we must not despise the Lord's patience. I'll say it again. We must not despise the Lord's patience. Verse 7. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he said to the vine dresser, the vine dresser represents Christ, which we're going to talk about on the, on the third point. But you see first, see the patience of the owner. For three years now, I have come seeking fruit. This is not the first time that the owner came seeking fruit. This is not even the second time. This is the third time. And you see, the owner, if the owner, when he came expecting fruit from the fig tree, if the owner would have cut down that tree the first time, no complaints. He would have been in his right to do so. Completely. He would have cut the tree on the second time, and yet it was his third time. 
Now, some commentaries, they get into, well, what do the three years mean? Does it mean, you know, the law and the prophets or like, and then Christ? To be honest, I am not sure what those three years mean. But whatever view you take on what exactly the three years mean, it still means the same thing. It is saying that this owner is patient. Is patient. It is letting you know that this owner didn't just came and on the first try, on the first time he said, chop it down. So the Lord is patient. Now, he is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is gracious. And he has extended that, that mercy on us. If you're here tonight, you have received this kind of mercy from the Lord. You definitely have. Because of the first time, he could have completely wiped you and me out. And yet, he is patient. Now, are we despising the Lord's patience? If you're a Christian here, like I said, you have received his patience. But how is this patience that you have received from the Lord being shown to other people? Are you being patient to others, just unmerciful to them as your Father in heaven has been merciful to you? If you are here tonight and you are not a Christian for whatever reason, but you're here tonight, are you despising the Lord's patience only because you are still here and he has come once and then twice and this is the third time? That doesn't mean that he won't cut you down. Are you despising his patience? So it applies to all of us. In different ways, it applies to all of us. If you're a Christian, are you despising his patience? Are you just taking it for granted? And if you are not a Christian, are you thinking, well, nothing bad has happened to me. Nothing is going to. Something will. A judgment is coming. He says what? Cut it down. So, once again, our second point is we, you and I, must not despise the Lord's patience. And lastly, my third point is we must bear fruit, true fruit, through Christ, the vine dresser. We must bear true fruit through Christ, the vine dresser. Verse 8, and he answered him, divine dresser, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now, like I said, this vine dresser represents Christ in this parable. Um, and he is has a respectable position, and he's just asking for more time. Now, on a superficial reading, some people may think 
that the owner and the vine dresser are juxtaposed, that they are against each other. That would be a superficial reading of the text, that they have divided wills or even contradictory ideas. You know, the owner is coming and he's just oh, angry and, oh, but, but the vine dresser is so sweet. You know, uh, that's on a superficial reading. However, a closer look to the text lets us know that on the contrary, both the owner and the vine dresser are actually working together. You see, so now I'm going to explain first what is not happening. What is not happening is that the vine dresser is the vine dresser is not telling the owner, "Hey, what do you mean by cutting the tree down? Hmm. Why are you so evil? Why do you want to punish this innocent fig tree?" That is definitely not happening. The other thing that is not happening is that the vine dresser is also he's not saying, "Hey, owner, we shouldn't expect fruit from the fig tree." He's not saying that either. But on the contrary, the vine dresser affirms both the righteous expectation of the owner and then also his judgment. He agrees that we should expect tree, uh, fruit from the fig tree. He's agreeing with the owner. And he also agrees with the judgment of the owner. But you know what? If it doesn't produce next year, cut it down. And this is an important thing for us to notice because in this parable, God the Father and Christ being represented we need to remember that uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, they work together, one God in three persons, for the same purpose. It is not how some people say that the God of the Old Testament is just mean, and oh, he punishes people, but then the New Testament, oh yeah, we have Jesus, the Lamb of God, Jesus is just all love. No. <laughs> Definitely no. You see, once again, Divine dresser says, hey, owner, it's true. We should expect fruit. And it's also true. And if it doesn't give fruit, cut it down. So you see, both the Father and Jesus work together. Is one will, is one judgment. And if you really see it, Jesus is not doing anything new in nature because the owner has already extended grace to the fig tree. The owner has already been merciful to the fig tree. The only thing Jesus is doing in this, in this case, divine dresser, he's saying, let's prolong it one more year. But in essence, it's nothing new. He's working alongside, same will, same purpose. So the question for us to finalize is are we going to bear true fruit through Christ? He is the vine dresser. Christ came, he said, to do the will of the Father. He is coming and he is extending mercy. But he also agrees that judgment is coming. And he, and he tells the owner, hey, let, 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 me, let me water it. Let me put manure. He's extending mercy to you. He's extending mercy to me. He's calling at the door. Will you answer? He's offering, Christ is offering for you to drink what he told the, the woman, you know, at the well. 
If you drink from me, you know, you will never thirst again. Are you willing to receive his mercy? Are you willing to bear fruit, true fruit, through Christ? Only through the vine dresser, only through him. It is not, again, as good as attending to churches. We could be outwardly, just like this fig tree, be doing everything correct, and yet be dead, and yet be sterile, and yet not be producing fruit. We must bear true fruit through Christ, divine dresser. So I plead to you, plead to you, Christ rich, if you are new here, or whether you're the last person who needs to think this, consider, one, where you stand before the judge of all the earth. Second, do not despise the Lord's patience. And third, accept the invitation to bear fruit, true fruit, through Christ, the mediator. That fruit that God is seeking for, a repentant heart, a renewed life. For apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is true. Your word is challenging, has so many layers, and uh, speaks to all of us. I pray, Lord, that you may Uh, Hold us close to you that we may bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That we may be humble to accept that we need you. That unless we repent, we will all likewise perish. And we thank you for your son. In his name we pray. Amen.